Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are recording our second thing of the night. We did an episode already. It is uh, 9.43 in Milwaukee, so we're up a little late after a long day of meetings. Mike, Normally, how did... normally we go to bed at 7.30 yeah. and get up at 5.30. But Mike, how did you enjoy your meetings today? Fantastic. I mean, I've never had a string of meetings that were that great. Yeah, and I... I enjoyed my meetings too, but so you've got us after a lot of meetings, one episode, whatever else. If we seem a little groggy, we apologize. But if anything makes us less groggy, it is a discussion of the great schism between the East and the West. And so we are in this winging it series of church history. I do think, Mike, we have to think about maybe injecting something into the Noel book for some of these as we get further along. Um, but today we're at the great schism between the East and the West, and especially the 11th century, um, and what takes place then. So, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Uh, I am not a meeting person. I feel like I really enjoyed all my meetings today, and then I had other I had writing projects I worked on. But it is getting late, and uh, we're on my back porch with the umbrella up, but the sun down. <laughs> so hopefully that makes sense. And Mike, you were a, uh, I would say, a champion today um, in our meetings as well. So we are going to discuss the great schism East and West. And just to review a little bit how we got here, we have talked about um, the, the tensions that arose between Jew and Gentile, what sort of church the church was going to be. Fall of Jerusalem, yep. The fall of Jerusalem, the creedal statements, and how the church kind of defined itself with regard to the scriptures. Council of Nicaea, Council of Chalcedon. Yep, and uh, we got into monasticism, which had very different impulses in the East and West. In the East, more hermits. In the West, more uh, communal monasticism. We have made our way through the Benedictine rule, um, and uh, Charlemagne, mm-hmm. Charles Grit, the Great, and uh, kind of the shift towards a Western empire. Neither, I mean, empire probably isn't the best term, but a West that neither is, holy, neither Ro- not holy Roman or an empire. Yeah, but and it, we're going to call but it. But the they're holy kind of Roman their own empire. thing, and they realize that like the East is just not going to help like it has. We talked th- about the Crusades a little. Um, I don't see us taking that up as a big episode maybe, right now. Maybe, someday, maybe later. Maybe yeah. someday when we get. Board. But not in this series. And so now we're going to get at, you've had this trajectory of the East has had its own Byzantine experiment or experience of, um, it's still Rome. I mean, they, they really feel they're still Rome for a long time. They do have outside uh, threats, the Persian Empire, the Muslim or Islamic conquest, stuff like that. Um, in the West, that kind of is relying on the Pope and now the Franks, uh, Charlemagne, stuff like that. And so we are going to make our way into um, these tensions that have been there for centuries. What's going to happen with East uh, and West now as they face life largely apart, um, but confessing the same faith? And so we will dig into it and see how that goes. Does it sound fair, Mike? Yeah. And I, the, the when we tell the story of the Great Schism... Schism, schism, which one C- is it? Or S C H I S M. I always heard like schism. scissors. We never said schizers. I I know, but I always heard schism. But I'm gonna say I heard schism always. Okay, schism. It could be oh, schism. I, I'm gonna go with you. So, 
when you hear the story of the actual, okay, you're excommunicated. No, I excommunicate you. Which no, I excommunicate awesome. you. Because we've all wanted to have that moment. Um, it seems so petty, but there's centuries there of uh, political strife. Um, and there's some theological things, too, that you really do have to appreciate. And and then what what's really important about this is you really do have two churches um and you know even i mean and the church both churches are going to struggle to come come to terms with that fact for a long time i mean luther's going to point out like so is the east not church and the east is really going to have to wrestle with is the west church right and and it's really only recently that you will even have any kind of legitimate talks between the two and and in lutheranism in america it actually has been kind of a thing where uh disenchanted Lutheran pastors, it, there have been a number who have what we call going east and, and gone to Eastern Orthodoxy. No yeah. And, you know, that's that's a whole other story, of course. But um, um, it's kind of interesting that it's taken this long, and maybe it has been uh, a globalization, but also America plays a, a part in that where you, you, I mean, we have, you have Orthodox neighbors, quite literally, Right. The Serbian church is literally down the road. Yeah. Um, and you're almost forced into and those kinds of situations. My house. I mean, it's almost intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's what's kind of interesting about this. And maybe we'll get to this later in the episode is um, on the way on the drive here. What I was thinking about, other than that, there was a lot of traffic was how quickly we do break off from each other in the Christian church. And I'm not just talking about this great schism or different denominations, but just, you know, Wade ticked me off because he thinks this. And so I'm not going to talk to him for two weeks, you know, and, and there's a certain sense when we talk about the doctrine of fellowship, when someone is a persistent heiress, you are forced to say, I I, I can't, it's too dangerous and out of love, I want to warn you. We can't. We can't participate. I'm in this mic, things. and I'm waiting. Hold to, on. to jump in. Yep, I'm gonna let you talk. And however, the unintended consequence often is that then we don't talk. And maybe you're on the right side, and you have just taken away the one mooring the heiress has. And, and those are, those are things that we don't always appreciate, I think. And when you look back in history, even to this great, 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 I mean, the greatest of all fellowship breaks, right? It's the best um, schism ever. It, it is of all the schisms. This, this is, is the, the greatest. Schism, yeah. This is the greatest. You, you want to. I want to riff on this, but you, keep going. You want to. You want to do kind of a, a counter historical thing. What would have happened if. Cardinal Humbert choose your own adventure. What was not a jackass? Uh, what happens if they don't I, excommunicate each although other? Although he's my, he is my <laughs> literal like. If I go back in history, like he's me. <laughs> yeah, he, you are like him. Um, you're nicer. You really no, are. No. I, I, I really I feel would like slam that letter. <laughs> <of excommunication. laughs> I, I just, I, I just wonder if, and and this is true in politics too. You know. Um, the, the lines of communication really should always be open, even if there is the greatest of all, of all schisms. And it's too bad that it takes 
centuries sometimes. And, and we've talked about this before in other, other, um, other situations where we need to appreciate history. When we look back at history and say, what's the big deal? Well, understand the context at the same time. There's a lesson for us to kind of be like, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe we ought to chill out just a yeah. little bit. So um, I think that's a good intro. And uh, Well, just maybe, let me add, yeah. this, this stuff they're fighting about, and I would just say this is stuff for us to think about in this session, is how much of it was what is Christianity and how much of it was political and cultural. You have a West and an East that are living very different cultural lives, they're speaking in different languages, which Greek and Latin are very different. Um, which means and, your thought patterns right. different. And politically, both politically in a secular fashion, but also politically, church bureaucracy. And this is church bureaucracy at its worst. The two people fighting are church bureaucrats, and they're about what's our power in, in the institution and is it the same institution. I would say um, you're on to something there. Of, it is very instructive for us today <clears throat> of... Uh, I just think sometimes if we step back and say, what are we fighting about? If we look at history and say, maybe we're fighting about these things that led to like the great schism that basically like, what's the biggest thing you can say? The filioque, which we'll get into what that mm -hmm. is. But like end of the day, like even like the East is like, yeah, it's not the best, but we can't <laughs> say it's wrong. Like there's a lot of stuff that plays into this. Right. And I think that's very, very instructive for us to say, okay, hold on now, not just to look back at history to learn those lessons, but also to ask yourself, what are they going to say about Wade and Mike 500 years from now? Well, nothing, well, obviously, nothing. Yeah, yeah. but let's just say we were important. What would they say about us? I think that's kind of a good thing. That what did they fight ask. about and why? Why? break there but I think what we'll do is just go through the quickly the history of the actual schism not necessarily the background so much and we'll jump in there with with other details and all the historians out there um, you know this is just an overview we're not probably going to get you all know the everything. details you just know right, all right. the details so you're so special start your own podcast <laughs> so Henry the third Holy Roman Empire Emperor correct is uh wants to is a pious man wants to reform the church and uh this is where the politics gets played into the church they have that we've already discussed that where we have kind of this mixture of the secular and the ecclesiastical and uh he tries to set up uh, a couple of popes and they they keep dying on him and that's the, that's the worst thing is when you get your pope and they die. Right. That is that is the worst. Um, and it's happened quite a bit where like there's a new pope and then he dies like a month right. later. In fact, I we were it's both. It's really selfish of the new popes. We were born. I was born in 78. Were you born in 77 or 78? It's actually born in 1879. You were born in 1877. No, 1977. <laughs> sorry. Um, we've been alive for 
Um, a lot of years. A lot of years, 40 years, but we have seen one, two, three, four popes. Oh, three. Th- four, I think, because no, I think... John Paul. John Paul, but there was there was a pope in there in the... You're going to look no. this up. There was a pope John in there Paul. that lived only like like a few months or a year. Uh, what I'm the point the point I'm saying is before John Paul the second right there was one of these popes that was hey he's the new pope and then he dies that was so, way I think that was the twenty third well you you look that up but what I'm saying the point is is that this has happened quite a bit where there uh, comes somebody in a very powerful office so, uh, all right so he w- Pope John Paul the second was elected by papal conclave um, of 1978. So that gives me an additional pope. Um, so Pope Paul the sixth, but not you necessarily. I was born in April. Well, it doesn't say the. Uh, well, you gotta. When you get the information, then you then you. Well, let Wikipedia me know. has. But anyways, it goes definitely. It's Pope John Paul the second, and then it's uh, what's his name, the bulldog, ben, who was a Luther scholar, Benedict, Benedict and then the one that shouldn't right, be a pope. But I'm pretty sure that, that I was alive for. Um, the one who was previous, and I believe that he was a short, he had a short reign. Anyway, the point is, is that this happens actually quite a bit in history where there's a Pope comes and then he dies right away. So Henry III wants reform. He, he gets his 16th of October, 1978. What's your birthday? April. So you're wrong. Uh, no. 1978 in October, John Paul is II. Is after April. 1970, Wait. yeah, I'm right. Oh, no, you're yeah, right. right, yeah. So. <clears throat> you just, you really like this pope that was before. <laughs> I don't even know his name. John 20. I think it was Paul IV that says, Paul I don't know anything about him. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He, he was, was not old... Polish, I know that, because so, it's big that John Paul II so was Polish. Back to the original point. Henry III tries to set up, and I believe German popes, he wants reform. He believes that the popes in Italy have been they're, they're, they're t- the worst. They're the, too much involved in politics. They're and ravioli. It's just, and they're... We love Italians, we love Pastor Bordelin, right. but the if, if Pastor Bordelin becomes pope, he'd probably be a bad pope. Anyway, yeah. so it, it and thinks... Like, Mastacholi's okay once in a while, <laughs> but you can't have Mastacholi every at, day. At once in a while, you got to have an Argentinian come in, or a German, uh, or a, a pole. A pole, yeah. you got to have a pole, or or a German like Benedict. Uh, no, Rats, we like Benedict. No, I like Benedict. Rats, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but uh, <clears throat> so Henry the Third tries to get a German pope in there to reform because right. he feels like the previous popes have been too entangled they're just with political their things. Pizza and too they're political. in the piazza. They're having their too political Merlot wine. <clears throat> so uh, you got to come up with. They're only, uh, Wade only knows about Merlot. I'm trying to think <laughs> all the their Italian group. stuff they're doing. I feel like they were like Vespas. playing soccer. Like Vespas. Yeah. They're riding Vespas. They're on scooters. Playing soccer. No, that's a good point. They're doing that. Roma, um, AC Milan, Gelato. Yes. Okay. Oh, that, like, the ice cream thing. That, <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're doing that too. Which is really, I mean, if you think about it, people's souls are at stake and you're just having gelato. But Italy's a time, Italy's a place where you just, you know, it's hard to be serious yeah, about. I'm just brainstorming yeah. other stuff. Other Ita- now, you know what they're just doing? For all they're, the- they're, they're, they're uh, rowing gondolas. Well, that's in Venice. Right, and but so I'm, I'm just going to say that goes to Rome. <laughs> that's like, a little they're bit, rowing those things. That's Italian now. And, uh, but. 
and they're and they're like, "What are you looking at?" They're always <laughs> young. They're like, "What are you looking to, at?" To that. To be fair, some of the great scholars, whether we agree with them or not, when you when you learn about their biography, they're all from Italy. But if you could say, like, if if there had been a council and Luther was alive, can you imagine it would have been like, "What are you looking at?" And Luther had been like, "You." Well, and it you know, is. A but then they're pin- like, then they're like, let's go on our Vespa, and have some gelato. And we, I feel like Luther still probably would have been like, I'm pretty Jesus. Sure, and I'm pretty gospel. sure. Like, wh- what was the council that? What was the city that the council got canceled before? Then the council of Trent. Uh, well, there was Constance and the Constance, Mantua. Mantua. I'm pretty sure that got canceled because AC Milan was playing Roma. Yeah, and I also feel like. There's a lot of like bishops yelling like, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> okay, so Henry the yeah. Third wants reform. He's a pious, pious man. Sets up he, he he's politically he able to set up uh, popes that are going to be Reformation popes that are going to be uh, German. And then, like they, two of them die. Is it two or three? I think it's two uh, of them least, die. I think. And then Leo the Ninth finally gets in, and Leo the Ninth then has the backing of Henry the Third, the Holy Roman Emperor, and he does some Which good Leo things. Leo is like a huge pope name. Like you're either a good pope or a bad pope if you're a right. Leo. So you got Leo the Tenth, bad pope. No, bad pope. Leo the Ninth, decent, decent. But then Leo the who wrote the, the Ninja tome. Turtle, the Tome, Third, Leo the Great. Leo the Great, but what number was he? I don't know. He's the original guy. Was he first? I'm assuming. I'm going to Google it. So Leo, yeah. But there's a Leonardo. Here's a good good question for you. (laughs) Had nunchucks. If you... No, Raphael was... What did Leo have? I don't know. Raphael was nunchucks. Michelangelo had the uh, long stick. I don't remember. Leonardo was a sword. But here's a question for you, Wade. Okay. Let's say you stayed in the Roman Catholic Church and you became Pope. What name would you pick? I would go with no, Leo I, I don't or think Gregory. That, I don't think it's hard. I would pick Jude. It's my favorite epistle right. as far as a short epistle. And like an apostle who is not like big name, I'd be Pope Jude. You know, But you, not Judas. I would go with- Because that dude, I heard, he yeah, totally betrayed Jesus. And maybe that's a strike against Jude because people may get that confused. I, If I was to counsel you, I would have said Wade. And then see no, how it goes. No, that's an Arkansas nope. name that no one has. See how it goes, and then maybe someday there could be. Can Wade they the, even say Wade? Wade the like second, do Italians have W's? Wade the second, and then you would be Wade the first. Wade the second. Anyway, so okay, Leo the Great was uh, he was the first. Okay, there you go. Which he was also great. Right, so you could be. But his Wade also, the first you know what his gravestone says? His epitaph on his gravestone says, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> that one's false. So. Henry the Third, Leo the Ninth. But it is common, it says, to leave Mustacholi. Okay. The, so uh, he is trying to reform the church and makes some just background, great background. If I could just say, Mike, going to Catholic grade school, we used to have one day a week was Mustacholi, and I always thought it was pronounced Mastacholi, but it was a very Polish school. Like everybody was a ski or a wits or whatever, and I actually got shamed for the like of Z's and my and Y's in my name. So, uh. I just kind of identify with like the, uh, and, and I had, so then we had a Polish Pope, which made me feel very isolated culturally. I feel like that you were isolated for other reasons. But too. 
What would you say, Mustacholi or Mastacholi? Mastacholi. Do you really? I, yeah, but I don't really I, know. See, all the Polish people said Mustacholi. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Leo the Great like, should be... Must- Let's all eat Mustacholi and convert the Anglicans. They're not... These are Angelos, angels, because they got red hair. That's right. another story. That that is that that's the one thing that you said that was. But profound. all right, go back to your. So there's another Leo, and he's doing. So stuff. Leo the Ninth actually enacts some reforms, mostly against simony, but he's very. No Parmesan cheese on no. the mustacholi. He's also um, big into celibacy. Anyway, so Leo the Ninth. What is, is going, what is, so celibacy is like, that's a noodle with tomato sauce or... White sauce. Now, so... <laughs> I gotta, I'll stop. I'm I sorry. think that Leo the Ninth probably got to a point where he, I did some reform. He looks his eyes to the east. Now, we had talked about before that with Charlemagne, um, instead of looking to the east, uh, the Pope looked to the north and there was, you know, you had the Turkish threat, uh, or the Muslim threat, I should say. And so uh, looking to the east politically um, was not as advantageous as looking to the north. And so you have the coordination with, with Charlemagne. So Leo IX, maybe, I, I think maybe I'm being unfair here, but maybe is, is overreaching, looking, looking toward the east um, and trying to make overtures to Constantinople a little bit, and he's going to have a little a bit of resistance. Now, the whole Philoku thing actually comes in... Which means in, and the sun. So the... It comes in the 9th century. Now go explain. It, well, just just that the ahead. spirit proceeds from the father and the son. I don't know that the East ever has officially den- denied that. They've just said the West shouldn't have added it. But in the West, there were challenges to the deity of the sun. And so this was, and I think a very biblical edition of... Mm-hmm. You know that the spirit that as father and and son are both divine, and so the spirit proceeds from both. So. And it has to do with Arianism, which we talked about in a previous episode, the 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 Council of Nicaea. It pops up again in what we t- today know as Spain, and so the East is is not as concerned with it as the West is in that particular situation. So they want to add the filioque, and. Um, Again, it's not it's not really a theological problem, but um, the, the the Eastern Church starts to not pay as much attention to the diplomacy that it had in the past with the Pope. So, I mean, you have to but, imagine if Washington D.C. got cut off from much of the U.S. Imagine if like D.C.'s influence maybe went to like Tennessee, and then you've got you know, now L.A. or pick something out west, Mike, but or even Texas. You've got Houston or Dallas that kind of has the function. And you know what? They're getting by. They've got their thing. Um, but out east is still pretty prosperous and doing all right. Uh, you've you've got this cultural, political thing of like, you know, who who matters. Yeah. But. And there's different ways that cultures say this is, this is someone who matters. So, for instance, if you... Uh, this is going to be a little inside baseball in the Wisconsin Synod. You know, when we have a, a prayer of the church, unless we're specifically praying for the president and the con- and the and the uh, Congress, we don't really. But you go to a Missouri Synod church, often you will hear, and we pray for President Barack or President Donald and Governor 
Scott or whatever, wherever state you're in. What happens in the East is that they don't do that kind of thing anymore. They're not going to list the Bishop of, of Rome as one of their dignitaries kind of thing. And, and then that's, that's a little bit superficial way to look at but it. But he leaves I, the radar. It, like, yeah, it's it's it, like Rome is we're, we're not, the ugly stepsister. We're not going to give you the same honor anymore. And so you have this stirring already, right? And then what happens is you have a Norman invasion of Italy, for lack of a better term. And in Italy, there's going to be churches that are under the jurisdiction of the east of the Byzantine um, um, emperor, or you should maybe probably say the patriarch of Constantinople, whatever the and term was at the time. beautiful, um, yep. expensive churches. And on the flip side, you have Latin churches in the east, right? And still today, you have certain churches, like in the Ukraine, for instance, you have maybe Eastern Orthodox churches that are under the jurisdiction of the Eastern Orthodox, but they're Latin Western right. And maybe uh, imagine these as uh, um, embassies. Is it I mean, because politically we can imagine embassies like here is a here's a building that's politically, you know, in another country, but it's of another country. Mm -hmm. These churches, you have to imagine sort of that way of they're serving people in that area who are also from the West or the East. But they are really they belong to like an embassy, you know, a Latin Rite church in the East is of the Pope of Rome and Eastern Rite church in the West is. Of the patriarch. But. Right. And they're just in a different territory. And and you have some property issues there. You know, the property is technically, or you know, owned by the, by you know, or there's influence by, or there's jurisdiction by um, uh, the Eastern Church in a Western territory is kind of the best way, the simplest way that we can think about it. And so the Norman invasion... And it's a big deal. The same as if we were to just walk into, a, you know, um, the... Uh, Ecuadorian embassy in DC, you're going on another sovereign territory. You, you are trespassing, mm -hmm. so to speak. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. So the Norman invasion comes down in Italy, and so you have the the Eastern uh, ruler, secular ruler. You have the Eastern um, ecclesiastical ruler, but you also have the Pope in the in Rome that all have interest in this. They all have territories there. They have churches there. They have interests there. And so they get together and say, we're going to beat back these, 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 uh, these dastardly Normans. And one of the, um, because no one wants to lose their property. <laughs> the Normans. So you have, uh, which is great too, because historically, just as a side note, Norman is like a very non-threatening name in our day. Like, mm -hmm. but it's also a name like, be like, oh, Norman's really been threatening me. I think in our day we'd be like, oh, Norman. But this is, everybody agrees, East and West, these are barbarians. And even the East realizes, if the Normans take the Pope, we lose our last representative in the West. So they need the Pope. They don't want the Pope to have control over their churches. But if the Pope goes, they lose any claim to their power in the West because they can't assert it. So... Um, it's kind of like a, a love-hate relate. You know, it. Um, what's a good way to a comparison would be? Maybe we have tensions with Europe sometimes, but we would recognize like if we didn't have that relationship with Europe, we would lose, or maybe Europe with us. But um, 
the East doesn't want the Pope to be too powerful, mm-hmm. but if there's no Pope, the East mm-hmm. has no claim on these things. So I just just you can already see the mixture of the secular and ecclesiastical and the problems that that come with that um so part of the deal was that the pope would then maybe take control of some of these greek churches that were on the italian peninsula so and then and and then maybe maybe the west overasserts itself and says we kind of want to have that diplomatic niceties again that you haven't been doing for the last hundred years kind of thing. And then the, and then the East says, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then, so you, you have then, uh, Cardinal Humbert, Humbert, just as a side note. Um, so the East is nervous. Like the Normans might do something. Well, Mike, what happened when the, uh, I mean, the East really thought they had a connection to Rome and, in the West with the with the Franks and Charlemagne, maybe this plays in too. I mean, what's the dynamic there? Yeah, I, I think there's 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 a lot of political things going on there. Not a whole lot of trust. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Not a whole lot of trust. And I mean, what's to say the Pope doesn't say, "I've got close friends and far friends." Yep, I got. I have the Holy Roman Emperor. Remember, yeah. backing me. Um, and and so th- there is. There's not the diplomatic niceties that that are that people want, and so Cardinal Humbert, right? Uh, who, Humboldt, is Humboldt, it? Humbert, or Humboldt? Uh, I think it's Humbert. I, I was Humbert. Mixed, mixed it up. But now we're, we're he is he is honestly um, a hero of mine, not because I should do what he did, but uh, that the guy's got guts. He's, the guy's he, got guts. He was, so he's a I monk. I believe the term my kids use is savage. Yeah, he's a he's a monk. Who Leo the Ninth says, "I need you on my side." He kind of becomes the right hand man of Leo the Ninth. Um, he fights uh, the simony, which would be selling of ecclesiastical um, offices. Um, he's definitely about reform, but he also is very undiplomatic with with the East. So you have this situation where uh, there is. A uh, consolidation of uh, power and and military might and finances that are going to try to beat back the Normans, but the West wants a little bit more power, wants a little bit more diplomatic um, respect from the East, and so uh, uh, the Pope sends um, a delegation to the East and says, "Okay, let's play nice now, right? We've done this. Let's play nice now," but Humbert. Uh, gives he has this uh, this idea, and I think probably Leo the Ninth knew this too. Although it seems that Humbert had had written this, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, this letter that came from from Pope Leo the Ninth to to the Patriarch in Constantinople. And I'm going to read this one line um, that um, uh, that as a hinge, remaining unmoved opens and shuts a door so Peter and his successors at Rome have an unfettered jurisdiction over the whole church since no one ought to interfere with their position because the highest see is judged by none. So I don't know about you, Wade, but if I came to you and said, okay, here's the deal. I'm pretty much in charge because I live in the south side of Milwaukee and you live over here just deal with it. You would probably be like, yeah, no, I don't think so. 
can I have two minutes to rant? Um, I think uh, the interesting thing here is you see um, Humbert is very much standing up for Rome's uh, legitimacy as a as a center of the church uh, in an age where Rome is not necessarily culturally, um, politically, it's not the force of the day. But I think a thing that is very instructive for us today is that Humbert was um, very institutional in the concern he took. He is there to represent the Pope and to represent the institution of the Western Church, the Roman Church. And uh, under the day, Humbert's allegiance was not necessarily to the doctrine or to... uh, the scriptures or to apostolic teaching, Humbert was about the legitimacy of his his institution and its preservation. And I think there is something to that when we look at many church controversies. Is the controversy about the truth of scripture or is it about who's in charge? And the funny thing is, Leo had died. Humbert dies soon after this. So all these guys are going to die, but what do they die for? They die for who's in charge. Yeah, and, and and in this whole controversy, what's what's the doctrinal point? Where's Jesus? It isn't there. And I think there is something for us to remember in that um, sometimes the church is simply going to fight about how do we organize this? Who is and and Rome is right. Rome matters. And the West is in 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 the West is right because, um, I mean the Western emphasis on doctrine is important too, but uh, these guys were literally willing to ex- I mean you mentioned Mike, but to excommunicate over who's in charge. Yeah, and what's interesting, a historical note: when Humbert is over in the East delivering this letter, that's when Leo the Ninth dies. Yeah, and so then the, you know the the patriarch in Constantinople is like, yeah, well, you don't, whose authority are you under a dead guy? Right. And so there, there is that kind of little wrinkle in that. And so then Humbert, like, you know, I, you know, I, you know, the story better than me, but goes into the Hagia Sophia and takes the, takes the letter and slams it down, shakes the dust off his feet and leaves. And, which is the church of, of Christianity at the time. Right. And, and, there's a, I think you're right. There's a little bit of Rome feels culturally not as significant as it thinks it deserves, right? And but has some military power, has some political power, and so it's it's asserting itself, you know. I mean, if, and, and maybe with all good intentions that they think they're if you would have if you would have put Constantinople up against Rome. Straight up fight Constantinople wins easily, but Rome was blessed with Western Europe was a backwoods. No one was like, let's take Western Europe. There's no abundance of wealth. There's no whatever the case may be. But in the midst of all of it was um, well, it just was whose church wins. And and neither of the churches were Christ Church. Right. It was whose church wins, and I think this is I, I, when when Luther early on, and I think I mean this is important when he wins Karlstadt over, 
When Luther early on talks about the church, one of the big breakthroughs Luther has that the seven-year-old knows is the church is where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are administered. Um, you already see the tension developing of the church is located with a place or with a, a set of um, strictures, laws that are not that are foreign to it. Um, we see the groundwork laid for and and there's the thing, and then the Lutheran Church forms institutions, and the institutions then fight to preserve themselves. But um, I think I I mean I respect Humbert. Humbert was sent to do something, and he did it. And, and these and, these and, Easterners there, they're even, the worst. And even when he gives the bull, and then someone comes in and says, "No, no, 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 come back. You know, let's uh, let's talk about not well, maybe not." And talk then about Solarius or whatever his name <laughs> is in the in the Eastern Patriarch. And Leo of Bulgaria, but the guy I feel, and and I will say like I I I would love to have a poster of is Constantine the Eleventh, um, emperor when Constantinople falls. So we're talking fourteen fifty three. He has a mass set at the end in the Hagia Sophia. Um, that's a joint mass for the Orthodox and the Catholics, and then he goes out and he dies to fight for the unified Christian church. And then what does the Hagia Sophia become? Is a mosque. Um, And so I think there is something to be said for um, to me from a Lutheran perspective, this is what happens when the church becomes uh, surviving Surviving for the sake of surviving, right. trying to sur- trying to keep the institution surviving. Yes. And, and by the way, this is not just a conservative thing. I, I find this to be even more sometimes oh, a liberal liberals thing. Liberals institutions, yeah. Very much so. Where um, Liberals if, do not leave institutions. They take if, them over. If we do not save, if we do not do this, then this specific church... This specific congregation, this specific domination is going to go by the wayside where I think the conservative rightly and there's conservatives who also think that way. But conservatives in its in its broader sense would say and what I mean conservative there, I mean kind of a a true true liberal, right? A a true liberal arts, a true. Right. um, These are the anyway um, would say so. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, so what God has, God has seen the rise and fall of many a nation and many a church. Um, and, uh, I, I believe Jesus said something about that, right. about the, you know, the gates of Hades and stuff like that. Uh, uh, the truth matters. Well, that's why true Western more. liberalism is just not consistent with nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is so fascinating when, I mean, uh, we should have that talk with somebody who knows more than us about that but you know uh, true lib- western liberalism is conservatism and we we have those terms mixed up and that's it's it's kind of unfortunate but anyway Not rush limbaugh but yeah. yeah um you know uh so you have you have this great schism um but there are as you said there are attempts actually in the next couple centuries to try to mend the fence but then it kind of goes by the wayside and and, and one i will of the, say too it a lot of the talks the west has the upper hand because the east is under pressure but the mm-hmm. east torpedoes the talks and, after you know whatever res- resolutions are made have to be taken back home 
Yeah. It uh, so there's fault on both sides. And the Crusades don't help. I mean, the Crusades probably, maybe this is an overstatement, but you know, the final nails in the coffins um, over, over those the next three centuries. And the great and, irony is that the West can wage the Crusades, even though they're, you know, culturally and civil as far as civilization goes, like behind the East. Right. Sure. It's it, it's a that 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 part of history too. You know, let's say the Great Schism too to maybe you know 13 1400 is is something that uh is pretty fascinating we don't well and you look give at, enough credit you to look that. at u.s history um and i'm sorry to interrupt mike we got to fight a lot of wars we only got to fight because we had oceans between us and everybody else europe never got like here's 50 years to think mm-hmm. on something and uh the byzantine empire did not have 50 years to think on something the west had you know, I mean, it's just, it's not like everybody's like, let's go. You know, what we need is more uninhabitable land and plague. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think there's something to understanding, like, just how history plays out. That uh, it's not that Leo or um, there's just time afforded for being behind everybody else, but. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I think we got a few minutes left. I think we should talk about, um, you know, these are two different cultures. There's political things. There are some slight theological things. There's some practical things like the date of Easter and stuff like that. But really it's cultural, and <clears throat> the the cultural differences were already there. Um, there was liturgical differences, and there was, you need to now do, you know, uh, you need, to, if you're in a Latin church in the East, you need to do it the Eastern way, and if you don't, we're going to close you down, which happened. And vice versa. And vice versa. And and they're already there. But now that you have the schism and you don't have the contact, and some of that was just political. I mean, you have the Turkish... Turkish and Muslim invasions, and so it's not like you could just easily have a conference you can't just like facetime you know? yeah. yeah i can um there's time and space that are that are that are hindrances but you have these cultural differences that are then going to grow over the next thousand years and that's where we're at and and some of it has to do with language latin versus greek some of it has to do with uh connected to the languages is how you think latin the the roman western church uh, is going to be more about forensic justification, legal, yeah, and a legal sense of uh, doing that, and that that goes along with uh, the Latin language. But I mean, political too. Of the East has a friendly Christian emperor, um, and the emperor is going to be exalted as sort of a representative of Christ in a way that in the West you're going to have this tension between emperor and pope. So I mean, there's a reason that. Western Europe gives birth to separate, well, not separation, but a tension between church and state that just is not obvious in the East. And and we could go on for hours about the differences between between Latin and Greek, uh, West and East. I mean, there's so many liturgically, theologically, politically, and and we really need to have. Um, Dr. Leniger on again. Um, he's he's far too sophisticated to listen to this podcast, but uh, 
and that, that's not a compliment to him as much as it's an insult to right. us. But uh, we've had him on before. But but his doctorate work was Luther, and had to do with L- Lutheranism and and Eastern Orthodoxy. And so he has a he has an actually a very sophisticated understanding of the differences. I think, and I in my first semester teaching the worship class. Uh, I wanted to touch on Eastern Orthodox worship, and I said, "You got to come and do this for me for a day." And so, my first semester, he was great. I, I was grateful that he came and did that. And uh, the connections between how a, how a, how an Orthodox Christian looks at theology and looks at their encounter with God on Sunday morning versus a Western Christian. Uh, says a lot. It says a lot, and there, there's a divide there. There's a huge divide. And they never had Augustine or Anselm or yeah. I mean, the East just. And and I think there is something that the West can learn from the East, and there's certainly something that the East can learn from we the never West. Never had Chrysostom or yeah. And, and and what a shame. I mean, really, when I look at this period, I say I, I try to get back into that into their into their situation and say, okay, they must have really thought this was important, but what a shame, what a shame that there hasn't been more contact. And and when people in the West um, start getting interested in the East, people get all worked up, and, and maybe rightfully so because some people go overboard. But at the same time, there's something we can learn from Christendom, uh, Chrysostom and uh, Basil, you know, all the great Eastern fathers. There's something we can learn about that, a different way of thinking, and vice versa, too. I, I think it's just it's just a crying shame. And back to that original point, when you start throwing around excommunication all the time, well, and I uh, think, you lose something. And I think it's interesting how often it comes down to a debate over who's in charge. And uh, and I think that, I mean, that's still important for today in that all of these, and, then, and this is Lutheran in me, Mike, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we fall back on authority. Who is in charge? Who makes the final decision? And under It's the, easier that right, way. It's just it, easier. And it's Luther who says, you know, no one's in charge. And, and Luther's naive. He says scripture's in charge, and we can get to postmodernism and hermeneutics, and can anybody come to a text, you know, completely unbiased? But um, the seeds are there in Constantine, and we've talked about this. The seeds were laid of who's in charge. Bishops are going to have a council, and we're going to decide this, and now the fight becomes, well, who's in charge? Who decides it? And I would say, and this is, and I will fight this to the end. The one reason I will not leave Lutheran Church is I will never agree anyone's in charge. I think there is, Scripture is in charge, and here's the thing. And that's not to say I do think um, I have less patience than ever for someone who thinks Scripture decides, like, all sorts of stuff it doesn't. Like, I am so sick of, like, a 20-year-old who's, like, Scripture says this on that because I was that I was that person, but um, but I think it's perfect. I mean, it's it, it is absolutely telling that Christ Church that at first had its structure and authority as a source of right doctrine, like here's the guys you can trust, falls back in the schism on who's in charge, mm-hmm. um. 
what are they wearing? Where are they at? I think if there's ever like a thing that makes me say, Sola Scriptura, it, it would be that like, no. How about those two dudes sit down and say, Filioqua, how about you make a statement that's meaningful, but at the same time, on the flip side, there's got to be a structure. Mm-hmm. There can't be a church that's not, well, there's not that. Yeah, it's pietistic to think that there's no. Right. Yeah. So I think it, you know, it's just the, I mean, in I fourth that- century, this, all the flashpoints come and I think everybody falls on the flashpoints where it's convenient to them at the time. But I think where I'm at is, I think the same point, but at the same time, be a good churchman. You know, I mean, you, you, you are in a situation that's never going to be perfect. Um, and, and you be a good churchman. And so that's where you, I, I think you maybe have a little bit of sympathy for Humbert. You know, you're like, listen, he, he, he thought he was right. He was doing what was right. Um, I, I think, I think that he was undiplomatic and unfair oh, for sure. Just but don't excommunicate he, whole just, church just, bodies yeah, like just it don't, was. You know, just back off a little bit. Start with your buddy, like, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, like. But what? at the same time, you want to be, not everybody can be a rebel. You know, I mean, at some point you, you say, I'm in this church body. Maybe it's not perfect. Big surprise. It's not perfect. And, Jesus and, and, that. and then when you're going to pick your battles, you pick your battles. Does this have to do with justification? This, does this have to do with the integrity of scripture? Does this have to do with right doctrine or not? And not to let the politics of church, whether it is at your local congregation or between the Pope in Rome and the Patriarch in Constantinople, it's the same. Don't let that cloud... Um, the quest for truth and the quest for being charitable to each other a little bit, you know, and that that's always been a problem and it's going to be a problem until we get to paradise. I'm afraid that's the rumor. Yeah. So anyway, um, the lesson of the great schism is, um, be nice. I don't know. Don't write letters excommunicating people. You know, and if you we do should, we should like be- put it somewhere, that you can't just leave it on an altar, <laughs> like give it to a friend and be like, sit on this for a while, you know, and maybe to be serious about that. I mean, when I never excommunicated anybody, I have never either. And maybe I should have, I don't think I should have, but man, when, when excommunication to me was you are no longer a believer. You no longer are the faith. Not to you. That's the Bible. Like this is, and this and is the thing. Mike. I was going to be, I was going to be, you have to convince me yep. tenfold before I am going to lay down that hammer. And heresy am, is heresy. I am not, not going to throw that not around. Not everyone's a heretic because they say something different. Yep. I am not going to throw that around. The seriousness of excommunication uh, man, that you know, like the Council of Trent excommunicated anybody and everybody. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, hold on a little bit. Do you really understand what that means? That that's some serious business. And you're saying I was to someone humbled. you're going to hell for sure. I was. Humbled. I can't be wrong. You are burning in hell. For I was sure. humbled about that, and that was one thing that I 
that terrified me. Yeah. That terrified me. And and it ought not make you feel and good. It, and it should have terrified me. And that bothers me. me when people are like, oh, you know, this is so satisfying to put someone outside the church. No, I, really? Oof. Like, Yeah, and like you made a victory. That's a defeat for everybody. Everybody loses when there's excommunication. And so... I mean, do you imagine like God just high-fived Humber like... Great job. Way dude. to go, buddy. Yeah. Um, well, he died right away, so I'm guessing maybe. Well, I don't know. But I can't know. imagine he got a high five. I have no. to imagine, like. I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that was divine retribution, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, right, he he dies. But never be in a rush that. to put people out of the. No, I just. A little bit of charity, I think, would go a long way, you know? And, and, and sometimes people. Uh, when they look at the Lutheran church in America and go, oh my goodness, there's so many Lutheran groups or whatever. And there are a lot. Well, there's even more Baptist groups if you really want to get into it. I mean, it's kind of an American thing where, man, we just break off at the first sign of, of, of problems. And, and, and sometimes you have to, you have to. And, and, and I'm, thoroughly convinced that you know the whole persistent errant uh eras you have to you have to stand your ground and and fellowship is just the way we function as human beings quite frankly i mean if uh you know the president of the united states has a state dinner with the the president of iran that that's a big deal you don't just dine with somebody that that is 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 has is diametrically opposed to you um, it, it's not just something of the church. Um, at the same time, when you, when you cut off all discussion, the person who is doctrinally an heir then loses their connection to yeah. orthodoxy. And boy, there's a lot of ramifications that will persist. And we see this in the great schism. It started early and it's still not, it's still there. It takes centuries, if not millennia, to fix. Be careful. Be very gone, careful. I mean, I could walk, and I've been over there numerous times to go to Serb Fest, two blocks over a big cathedral. Um, if there were no baggage of, say, the last, like, 1,200 years. 1,400 years, yeah. <laughs> those guys and I would be like, oh, man, we really have a lot in common. Um we are irreparably, for good or ill, we can't get past what Humber did or what, you know, it. All of those for the for three centuries, yeah. But to step back and realize, you know, what's the dynamics in, in, in play here? Because um, I think I like those, I mean, they're wearing their cast. And we, we don't even know how to talk to them. They're out smoking and playing soccer. We don't even know how to talk to no, them. No, these dudes, these dudes are legit, Mike. Like, I've seen them. They've served fast. They're playing soccer, legit smoking in cassocks, like kicking the ball. I'm were, like, they, were they for or against the Croatian World Cup team? I don't know, but I just remember thinking, like, that's something I would want to do. Like, I don't even have a cassock that fits, but <laughs> if I had a cassock that fits, I would, and I don't even smoke, I'm asthmatic, but I would smoke, wear my cassock, and totally play soccer. You know, but now I'm like, they don't even cross themselves the right way. They cross themselves the Peter way, you know. And they, they, if I scored a goal, you know, I'd yell, "From the Father and the Son!" Like, I don't know. I just think it. Uh, 
no, we're going long, but I do think this is just a good session of the winging it to emphasize a uh, don't use heresy for a lot of stuff that's not heresy. Um, it was a great schism. The East is not heretics. The, the best West is of not, all. The best of all schisms. Right. Um, and I think B. Understand how many dynamics go into uh, divisions that arise. I mean, there's this political, cultural stuff that is not on people's radar, which I think is true for us. Um, and I think C, finally, uh, that I hope that people listen to this and say that was unfortunate. Um, and, and that that same approach applies today of uh, that we can say a division's necessary, but also unfortunate. So, and and then to also appreciate that there's one church and one baptism and one Lord, and uh, all be well when we get Except to heaven. Except for the Serbians, all be well. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in heaven if it's going to be the Latin rite or the Eastern rite, or maybe a mixture of I the think two. It's service of the Word, page thirty-eight. <laughs> It's, it's going to be something more than that. I'm uh, pretty sure there's going to be a meal involved, um, a w- the wedding supper of the lamb. But uh, won't it be nice finally to uh, lock arms with those in the east? I can't wait. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get in my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drink. I say I'm up. Another round, oh, set him up. Another round, oh, set him up. Another round, one more round, get me down. Don't care what the people are thinking.